Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast, brought to you by Spartan Forge. Black Rifle Coffee Company is a veteran-owned coffee company serving premium coffee to people who love America. Fall is upon us, and there's no better way to get fueled up before hunt than with some Black Rifle Coffee. Coffee legitimately tastes better after a day in the woods or after a successful hunt. Fuel your next adventure and purchase at www.blackriflecoffee.com and use code ANTLER at checkout to save 20% off your purchase and or with your first coffee club subscription, Black Rifle Coffee. Last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We partnered with social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. And Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit and download GoWild.com to get started. Tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter, Tethered produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. America's Best Bowstrings has been manufacturing high-quality custom bowstrings in the USA since 2006. America's Best Bowstrings strives on the commitment to never end the search for perfection, and this has been the driving force behind the company. Innovative products for every archer out there. Go create a custom set today at americasbestbowstrings.com. Our friends over at Half Rack just released some awesome gear and they were great enough to give our listeners 10% off their order. All you have to do is click on the link in the podcast bio or the link on our link tree on Instagram and that will give you your percentage off at checkout. So get some of the highest quality hunting and outdoor accessories that will help you prosper in the field. Half Rack is aiming to be mindful of the past, conservation conscious and evolve into the future. Forged in combat and tailored for hunters, Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly innovative and science-based products that save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can now take Spartan Forge with you wherever you go by downloading the mobile app. Enjoy deer prediction analysis, weather forecasts, historical data, detailed journaling, as well as crisp maps. It's time for you to make the most of your season and let Spartan Forge do that for you. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20%. Check it out over at spartanforge.ai.
What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a new episode of the Antler Up Podcast. We are on episode 126. And on today's episode, Dimitri and I, we were joined by Cameron Durr of the Exodus Outdoor Gear and the Deer Gear Podcast. We were really excited to have Cam on today's episode because it's starting to be that time of year where you start turning the whitetail prep needle up to the next level. We got into a bunch of different topics with Cam from hunting out of state whitetails, especially in North Dakota, using digital mapping, his gear and his trail cam strategies and a whole lot more. Enjoy today's episode and thanks again for tuning in. Antler up. So we're joined on the other line tonight by Cameron Durr from uh, the Deer Gear podcast with the Exodus Outdoor Gear trail cameras, all kinds of stuff, some new things coming down the pipeline pretty soon, I think. Uh, I don't want to be misquoting, but uh, from everything you hear on other podcasts and uh, just things you see uh, posted online, some new things are coming out on the horizon from you guys, so excited to see what that actually will be. Cameron, thanks for joining us tonight, dude. Yeah, man, thanks for thanks for having me. It's been a, been a while since I've got to talk to someone else on another podcast, so it, it feels refreshing to be on this side of the mic. <laughs> and it always is, and I mean, I can't say that we've really, we've been on a few, but we like just talking shop and getting down here and doing that, but Cam, I want to dive into a bunch of different things just because when I, you and I met at the PA Outdoor Show through our buddy Aaron Hepler, a uh, great dude, we've had Aaron on like three times now, just uh, talking all kinds of stuff. I just knew when you and I and Dimitri had a chance to interact, it was going to be a good one just because you're, you're all things like what we all like. Like you have that, the dive in deep, get into the, the why stuff that like, I know Dimitri just loves and kind of wants to wrap his head around, but then you have also the gear junkie in you. That is just me to the nines. So (laughs) all kinds of things we could get into today. So right off the bat though, uh, talk a little bit about, I know we, you do the whole thing like who you are, but you know, on that baseball card, you know, go give a quick, you know, where, where's that safe, where you're coming from, how many years, you know, you've been kind of doing things a little bit. I know you've been with Exodus for now for a little bit, uh, and kind of like your bread and butter for, uh, hunting. Okay, sure. So yeah, these guys mentioned it. My name is Cameron Durr. I am the creative director at Exodus and, I've been with Exodus for three years now. It's, it's three years in May. I'm from Northeast Ohio. The Exodus headquarters was, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes down the road from me when I applied. Had no idea that that was even wow. a thing. Um, I wasn't even like a, a diehard bow hunter, I guess you would say, at the time. I was more of a camera geek, and I just wanted to run around with the camera. Left my accounting job to come come intern for Exodus, and... Uh, through working with Exodus, my passion for whitetails and bow hunting grew immensely. And I find myself chasing, chasing whitetails all over the country now. Um, hunted in Wisconsin, North Dakota, Ohio, and Pennsylvania last year. This year, hopefully going to draw Iowa. And I just kind of, I kind of, I tend to like the open country, prairie ground, western states a lot more than I like the Eastern PA, the Western PA, Eastern Ohio. Yeah. I am, I'm not a big woods guy. I've tried it. (laughs) And, um, Chad, Chad's the big woods guy here in the office and he's, he's drugged me to the big woods with him a few times. And it's just not my, not my cup of tea. Well, one thing I think you're missing on there. And, uh, 
I heard from not just our buddy Aaron, who I mentioned, but a couple other people. You, you missed the uh, turkey whisperer that you are, apparently. Oh, man, I'm a turkey hunter. Yeah, that's that's what I like to do. But um, turkey season for me this year was not what it usually is. I'm usually all over the place, but uh, we're so busy here at Exodus. Got some new products coming to light and didn't get a chance to get out much, but I did kill two birds this year. It was a lot of fun. Um, I hunted in South Carolina. It was the only new state this year, but uh, that was a, a fun trip with Joe Miles from Osseo Gear. And uh, last year I did like, I think six states. Wow. And I killed four birds in three states in like nine days or something. And that was a lot of fun. And uh, Tanner Burns from Full Draw Taxidermy in West Virginia kind of lit that fire under me. And I just like to travel and hunt hunt yeah. animals, man. That's awesome, man. Well, coming from, like you said, just on the outside of the border of, of PA in Ohio, but, you know, we'll dive into uh, a little bit just because now within the last, man, since PA uh, TAC uh, just kind of wrapped up and talking to some people from Tethered and some other individuals who were coming by the booth or we just ran into on the course, that North Dakota hunt just intrigues me more and more and more uh, to get out there. And you had a ton of success out there this past year. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. That was a that was a trip that we went kind of just at the seat of our pants and just picked a spot on a map. And I don't know if we got lucky or what we looked at on the map actually panned out, but uh, we got into a ton of deer and the weather just aligned. North Dakota had like some crazy drought last year. And on our way out there, they got a huge rainstorm and the, the temperatures actually dropped. I mean, when you're there out there in the prairie ground and there's nothing to stop the weather, it could be 100 degrees in September. We were out there the first week of September, and for whatever reason, it was in the 70s and beautiful. And uh, We had a really good trip. We shot two nice bucks in four days. Heck, yeah. Now, are you mostly spotting stock or are you setting up ground blinds, tree stands? How are you normally hunting in North Dakota? The, so this is my first time out there. So the plan, the plan was to glass and either find where a bachelor group or a particular buck was feeding and just watch him, see what he does. We did that for three nights. So we got out there two nights before the season and those two nights we glassed and then opening night, I actually glassed as well. Just to, I had a buck that I thought was doing a certain thing and that time of year, it's better to be a little bit less aggressive than more aggressive. So I sat back, watched him again. And my plan, uh, the way that what gets me going is getting being eye level with a whitetail on the ground. And stubbornly, my, imp my first instinct was to just get on the ground with him. And I got busted uh, the second night of the season. And then I went back in the third night of the season in a saddle. And uh, the, uh, there was like five trees to choose from in like a 600 acre field and it was the only edge habitat there so there was a standing cornfield a row of five trees and then a standing bean field for for as long as you could see so it was the only edge habitat that those deer had around so i figured that they were going to use it and they did so yeah i uh, i got in a saddle that night but the plan out there was just glass 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 and figure out what they were doing because they were in a drought last year weren't they very bad. Okay. Very bad. So the whole strategy around where we were was around water. Okay. And then, uh, 
Man, so you said you kind of were you you know laying off as far as being uh, aggressive with that. You know, like going to your I guess you know normal quote unquote style of hunting. Was that like a a change of pace? Was it eating at you? Did you want to get in there and kind of go after it? Oh, dude, the um, so the the opening night of the season, like the weather rolled in and it was in the seventies in the evening, overcast skies, and the buck that I was glassing was where right in front of my camera my uh, i had a cell camera hung up and in north dakota um on private land it's free game if it's not posted and then if you get permission from the landowner even though it's non-posted property you can bait so i i had a corn pile out over a cell camera just for inventory mm-hmm. just to see what the heck was in the area when you're out there for four days like use whatever advantage you can possibly have so we had a, a bait pile out with a cell camera and that buck is in the corn pile at two hours before dark on opening night. And I'm sitting a thousand yards away behind the glass thinking like, Oh my God, like, what are you, <laughs> what are you doing? Like, you know, like the weather aligned, the wind was right. You, you had everything right. And you just missed your opportunity because you're sitting behind glass. And yeah, I was really kicking myself. Like you should be in there. You should be in there. I went back to camp and told my buddy Trey, I was like, dude, I screwed this all up. I'm I'm not going to kill that deer now. Like, I might as well go somewhere else. He's not going to do that again. And turned out the the pattern, September pattern, held true. Nice. Now, can you talk a little bit of how you utilize your cameras, especially with those out-of-state hunts? Because I yeah. think a lot of times that's not really discussed of, you know, how to – best utilize the the camera while you're out of state and you haven't done as much scouting as you would like to you know can you talk about is that something as soon as you get there the first day or maybe it's midday of the first time you're out there that you're kind of and how are you setting this up like you said you were able to bait so you had a food source that you were kind of able to gain inventory is there any other ways that you you know you're looking for rubs or scrapes if it's later in the year um, just because you have a short period of time to hunt and, you know, most people have four to seven days that they're out of state and, you know, they're possibly probably not coming back. So they got to kind of get it done in that small amount of time. So what's the best strategies that you've used to kind of get that day-to-day intel to be successful out of state? Sure. So, um, I guess we can break this down more into the time of year that you're going because it's going to yeah. differ if you're out there in the early season or if you're in the rut or late season. But um, when you're out of state and you're using cameras as a scouting tool, in my opinion, it's almost like necessary to use cell cameras. So you don't have to you, – you set them up on – like our first day out there was hang cameras, scout, 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 hang, look for areas to hang cameras, and – early season in September, you're looking for food sources. Well, in North Dakota, everything's food. So you're looking for some type of habitat change, some type of diversity, and then just a bunch of deer sign in general. So um, we used any edge habitat, any inside corner of a field that there was some some timber or there was a lot of cattails out there. So any transition between cattails and corn, we would take stakes and uh, put some stakes on the ground and throw cameras on them. So trying to cut them off, come the cattails was the bedding, and then obviously the beans or the corn was where they were feeding. So with cameras, we could decide, or we could um, we could see if they were going to the beans or going to the corn at this time of year. So 
early season, it was all around food sources. But yeah, that first day heading out there was like hang as many as you can, as many cell cameras as you can on real time. So not 24 hour uploads. Like you you want to be able to tell this intel like as soon as you can because like you said, time's limited, and you have four or five days to make a game plan. So um, if you're getting that intel immediately, you can then look at your phone and say, okay, the weather is doing this. The wind is doing this. Um, in two hours, there's going to be a wind change or the barometer is going to change. So you can kind of see, okay, this is what the deer wants to do. This is when he's doing it based on the camera intel and based on what the weather's doing. Do I have this weather in my forecast when I'm allowed to hunt or when I'm able to hunt or while I'm here. And if you do, then you can base a decision off of that information. If you don't have that Intel, if you don't have that weather, well, if the wind's blowing West and tomorrow it's blowing East, chances are it's going to go the opposite way. So uh, you can, the immediate information from cell cameras and then asking why. So that's, that's the why. Okay. You've got the picture. So what does it mean? Um, so that was like the early season strategy was edge habitat, food, and transitions. If you're basing this in, if you're basing this on a, a hunt that's in October or November, completely going to change for me. And this year, actually, uh, the plan for me is to hunt Iowa out of state. And we went out there in March and hung some cameras. And uh, I'm going to go back out. If you have the time, obviously, I'm going to go back out in July and August and check those cameras that we hung. We hung a handful of cameras, but there was cell service in the area. So I'm going to swap those SD card cameras out for cell cameras. And I'm going to run them the same way, real-time information. And I'm going to have them set up on scrapes most likely. So I think uh, it's going to be a river bottom where I'm at. And there's not a not a ton of diversity. There's some there, but the edge habitat, the edge habitat there's kind of minimal. So I'm going to focus on sign. So scrapes mostly, because I'm going to be out there in that late October timeframe when scrapes are on fire, bucks are trying to find that first doe. So, uh, yeah, late rut timeframe, late October, I'm focusing on signs, scrapes uh, the most, the best scrape that I can find closest to cover. And I'm going to hang a camera on every one I find. So, um, that's kind of the strategy for me moving out and going out to Iowa this year. Now, if that, if I didn't have the time to go out there, like I do in August or July, my strategy probably wouldn't change, but I would be hunting as I'm hanging cameras or looking for places to hang cameras. So, um, you, I mean, everyone that talks about the mobile hunting, uh, way is scout, 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 hunt. So I'm, I'm going to always have some cell cameras in my pack as I'm walking through the woods hunting and, uh, I'm going to base my Intel off of what those cameras tell me. So say you, you are able, someone that gets one day of scouting, you're going out July, August, you've done your e-scouting, uh, you get out there one day, you hang some cell cameras up, you do a little bit of scouting, maybe you put them on a couple of scrapes and you just let that sit until the season comes up. And then say a, a lot of that intel doesn't show up on the camera. You're not getting the deer movement, maybe not the quality of deer on that camera, uh, but you're still going to, you know, that's where you've done the most time and you're not just going to kind of 
throw that game plan totally out the window. What is your strategy when that time comes you're going out there to hunt uh, that first day? Are you moving the cameras? Are you still going to hunt around that area um, for someone, you know, because you don't want to waste, again, waste any time while you're out there? Sure. I, I think my strategy there would be to go into the areas where I hung the cameras and confirm that the sign is not there. So just because those deer aren't on camera and the area looks right, doesn't necessarily mean they're not there. So I don't, I don't fall in love with the idea of having to have pictures of deer. And I don't, I also don't fall in love with the idea of a spot because I hung a camera there because I scouted it. If it's not happening there, I'm moving on. So I, that happened to us in North Dakota. Our first spot that we went to, we e-scouted it, and I was like, okay, this is it. This is the money. These look like oaks, river bottom. Let's glass here this night. We drove around that area, and we glassed that night, and we saw a handful of deer, but it wasn't what we were looking for. If you're going out to an area, and it all depends on your goal, too. If you want to shoot a 160-inch deer, obviously you need to find a 160-inch deer. If you're going out of state to travel, just fill your tag on a nice buck that you consider a nice buck. You need to be in a high deer density area to have a good success or put the odds in your favor. So in the first area that we were in, there wasn't a whole lot of deer there. So we drove six hours north to get to the next spot that we had marked on the map. We had no intel on that area. We just said, okay, here's another area that has water. We know we need to be around, around water. There's a drought and there's a lot of public access. So let's head up that way and see if we can find the deer, see if we can find the sign. So in a scenario where the cameras aren't showing us what I want to see, if if I'm on a four or five day hunt, I'm going to have backup plans and I'm going to go see if, okay, maybe maybe I'm going to be here. Maybe I'm, I'm leaving that plan totally. I'm not scared to do that because if you, if the deer aren't there, you can't kill them. Exactly. And if, if you think you have it figured out to where like, okay, the deer should be here, but the deer are telling you something else, you have to listen to that. So um, for me, I would go into those areas, confirm that there are is actually no activity, ask myself, okay, is it too early for the activity to be here? Is it going to happen while I'm out here? You could hunt it for a day and see, or you could just scout until you find what you're looking for. And in what I would typically do there is like, okay, that camera's not it. There's no sign. The scrape hasn't been hit. The rubs aren't opened up. I'm going to keep moving on until I find something that I'm, that I, that I want to hunt. Cause you, like you said, you have four or five days and it does you no good to sit there in an area where the, nothing's happening for four or five days just because it looks good on a map. Yeah. That's a great question and great answer because my kind of, it was going that route. Cause I was going to say to you, Cam, you know, when you don't have the opportunity to get boots on the ground and the only way you have to go out there beforehand is, is digitally e-scouting, you know, like just for example, like, Oh, you get lucky here in in PA, you do your homework. And we, you know, one of us gets a shot, I don't know, second week of October, do what Tim always does on that first cold front. And you go up, up North. Like if we don't have, or go out West to, to Ohio, if we don't have that experience of in really in either one of those States to go out there and no spots, you know, what is your game plan to go in there with that cell camera basically? And, you know, that was kind of, that was a great question and a great answer to kind of answering that, that kind of question that I wanted to ask. Yeah. I don't, I tend to try to not fall in love with the map. Yeah. My, my e-scouting 
strategy falls a lot along the lines of just find somewhere to go. And then I don't spend a ton of time breaking down points on that map and say, okay, I'm going to be here. I'm going to look here. I'm going to look here. I'm just going to kind of find a broad area and then I'm going to budget time to go check that out. And most of the areas that I'm interested in traveling to hunt, I'm going to have opportunities to spend time behind the glass. And that's going to tell me a lot more than a trail camera can tell me because the trail camera has a 50 foot, 60 foot detection range or my glass. If I'm in an area where I can see for miles, I can figure out a lot of stuff. So my, my e-scouting strategy is just find somewhere to go pick a piece of public or pick an area where there's there's diversity or there's water or there's whatever I need for that specific time to be there and then budget some time to get boots on the ground. Uh, I'd rather have two days to scout and one day to hunt than have three days to hunt. Well, I think a lot the problem is too, is when you you're e-scouting and you try to find somewhere where you're like, there's not going to be a lot of hunting pressure. I can get (laughs) here and not, I've kind of thrown that out the window of just going in with the, the uh, aspect of, no matter where I pick, there's going to be hunting pressure and probably a lot 100%. of it. And just because if you're going there to hunt, I'm sure there's there's a reason behind it. And there's a lot of other people that want to do the same thing. So you got to kind of throw that out the window. And, you know, whether it's hunting pressure or not, you're going to have to figure it out regardless. So don't even kind of worry about that. And like you said, just kind of pick a spot. If you can get in there, dive in there, look for that sign and then adjust accordingly. Uh, otherwise, you'll be searching forever. Yeah, I think you have to go into all these scenarios with an open mind and think of it as a chance to learn. And if you get, if you go out there and get skunked or whatever, you you learn something. You have to take that on your chin and say, okay, well, now I know. And here's what I have to do better next time. Or, yeah, there's going to be hunting pressure wherever you go. There's, that's, like you said, that's why you're there. And the deer is still there. And they're going to do, they're going to be deer. So you just have to take that, take what the hunting pressure is showing you. And just, I mean, Johnny Stewart says it best. Like you have to listen to the deer. The deer are going to tell you where they're at. You just have to listen to it. Yeah. Now, so growing up just on the border of PA in Ohio, you know, I, you know, I know just from following you and talking to you for a little bit, I know you kind of the last seven years, you really kind of dove down that rabbit hole of being a bow hunter and taking this a little bit more, I should say more serious and obviously in the position you're in, but you've dealt with kind of what we just talked about pressure your whole life. When you go out (laughs) and you go out West to a state like North Dakota and you say you like that open prairie kind of terrain and hunting from the ground, are you able, cause like when I, when I hear that, I just, man, the people that hunt from the ground here in Pennsylvania are like, assassins you know what i mean just straight up killers and i i mean that would be really cool for me no doubt about it but i man i, I struggle the way it is <laughs> you know what i mean so for you cam when you had that experience now growing up and dealing with everything you dealt with and you got it done last year in north dakota what was the difference between like these deer like were they as skittish were they as uh you know typical deer like that we deal with or or is it something a little bit different it was different and there was a there was a a unique aspect to their skittishness now 
this area, this country, I'm, I'm telling you, it's like so open and you can see and hear forever. You can hear trucks coming down the road for miles and miles away. And if you were walking down the street and there were some people walking their dogs or something and the deer would just stand there and look at them. If a truck drove down the road, I'm not kidding you. The deer ducked. They would just lay down wherever they were at. They would just lay down. And I talked to a lot of locals there and nobody really bow hunts because it's so hard to get close to them. Everybody hunts with a rifle and everyone hunts from the road. They just road hunt out there. So these deer know that when trucks and stuff are coming down the road, that that's danger. The people walking down the street, they're not dangerous. The trucks, the vehicles, I was glassing, um, the first big buck I spotted out there, I was glassing him and I was like, man, he stood up out of his bed and he was 60 yards off the road. And I was like a hundred yards off the road on the other side, sitting on top of a hay bale. And I glassed him up and I was like, Oh my God, like beautiful, full velvet, like 145 inch eight point, like just a giant. And as soon as he stands up out of a, out of his bed, a Jeep comes rolling down the road. He laid down and never got up all night. He did not get back up. Wow. Yeah, so the deer, they were skittish, but two different things. But when they, the the thing that was most different is they acted like deer are supposed to act. When you have a cold front or you have a wind switch and the deer is supposed to switch their beds, they did it. Yep. That That was the big difference. Nice. I like that. I always say if you could drive your vehicle to the base of your tree, you'd never spook a deer coming going into your stand. <laughs> it wouldn't be that it wouldn't be that way out there, but in here you could do that. Yeah. In in Ohio, in Ohio and PA, you could do that. Yep. After tack, it always gets me just more fired up because now's when like Dimitri and I will get together on evenings or in mornings, shoot our bows, have some fun, you know, just how like and then we're talking about trail cameras and just getting things ready for fall obviously what are some of the things that like you're doing right now so this will air next week uh so we'll we'll be what that will be the like 15th of of june where are you at currently like what have you even done up to this point you know you've been (laughs) you've been busy you know what you're you're hoping for iowa what you know let's let's for right now let's talk do you want to go like locally or do you want to go iowa or, or kind of a little bit of both go locally go locally so let's talk more so locally for you cam for like this upcoming fall what have you done up to this point and where are you at now so at this point of the year locally i am typically swapping standard sd card cameras out that i've had soaking with cell cameras so my trail camera strategy locally is 100 percent long-term trail camera sets so if I run uh, standard SD card cameras, I'm not checking them all year. And so for this coming year, I have the data that I need from last year's data. Now, some things are going to change, but what I've learned from annual trail camera data isn't necessarily what one deer is going to do year after year after year. It's I, what I key in on in those times is when a certain area is on fire when the action's there. So I know on a particular farm that I killed my Ohio buck in last year, November 7th through the 14th, you better be in there. Before that and after that, it's okay. But you better be in there November 7th through the 14th. And that's just from letting standard SD card cameras soak all year long. And then the following year, 
I'll go in there and swap that. I'll put the camera in the same spot on the same tree with the cell camera. And okay, as soon as I get that first activity on that cell camera, it's time to go. And we're, we're, we're in there. So my strategy right now is basically to swap those standard SD card cameras out with cell cameras. That way that I get them in the woods, I get them working. I make sure they're working properly. Batteries are charged up. Solar panels are charged up and I'm just going to let it ride until they tell me that it's time to hunt again. I try to stay out of the woods as much as possible right now. I get, this is like you guys are doing. I'm shooting my bow a lot, getting my gear set, making sure everything that I can control is on point right now. And then as we get closer to season, I'll start glassing, uh, glassing some fields, driving back roads, doing all the fun Velvet Fest things. But in, what what are we sitting out here, June 7th? Uh, yeah, Memorial Day weekend, I did a lot of, uh, trail camera swaps and I'll do some more all the way up into like July. And then I'm basically out of the woods. Nice. Now are you putting your local trail cameras on mostly scrapes too, or are you kind of trails, food sources? How are you doing it there in Ohio? I'll do a a little bit of, of everything. So, um, a lot of the different, I hunt a lot of small properties here in Ohio. Uh, in PA, I have a ch- bigger tracks. In PA, I'm mostly hanging cameras on scrapes. And I will hang some on some food. If I if there's a big uh, white oak acorn um, mast that year, I will hang some cameras on some oaks. I'll try to find a scrape in those oaks, typically. Um, but most of my trail cameras, if I can find a good scrape close to cover i'm gonna put a camera on it and in ohio there are some really good transition areas that i like to hang cameras on like right outside of bedding there's a there's a property that i killed a buck last year that just has this dynamite transition there is a scrape further in towards the bedding but i don't even want to go i know i don't have to go that far in and any buck that cruises through there i'm gonna get them on camera right there so it's a little bit of both um it's a little bit of I've hunted these properties for five years now that I've learned the spots that I'm not going to hang cameras anymore. And I've learned the spots that I am going to hang cameras. I haven't had a ton of luck with mock scrapes. I would love to. I wish, I wish every camera I hung could be on a scrape. I just like, uh, you get so much Intel from them and I just love like a, a white tail making a scrape. It's just like one of the coolest things you can see in the woods. So I really enjoy getting photos and videos of deer on scrapes. So I, I tend to go lean that way. If there's a scrape in the area, I'm going to put it on the camera, put a camera on it. But in areas where there hasn't been a lot of scraping activity and I've tried to put a mock scrape, haven't had that much luck there. So then I'll, I'll move on to a Creek crossing or some type of pinch point or funnel and try to focus my attention there. Here's a question for you, Cam, about camera settings and all that jazz. When do you make a camera a video mode camera compared to just getting the the photos? Uh, Most of the time, I am running video. So if I'm running a cell camera, I'm never going to run it on video mode Okay. uh, for like three reasons. Number one, the data cost is really high. Number two, it's a compressed video. So I'm not going to want to you're just not going to get as much out of it as you would a, a photo. Like you can get the same information from a photo a lot cheaper. Okay. And th- three, um, sifting through 
the videos as they come through on your phone is just more cumbersome than it was if it's a photo. Got it. Now, all of my standard SD card cameras are on video. The the Lift 2, the Exodus Lift 2, just takes dynamite video. So I, I feel like you're cutting yourself short if you're if you're using photo mode, especially on a scrape. If food sources, I'm not going to run video mode. I'm going to leave it on photo mode. Uh, creek crossings, I'm going to run video mode to get direction. Uh, scrape, I'm going to run video mode to get direction. And you can learn a lot about the deer's mannerisms. You can see if he's timid. You can see if he's aggressive. Uh, you can see, like, if you have a doe come by in November 3rd and you have that I always run like a 45 second to a minute video. It's going to eat your SD card up, but it is so worth it. If you have that camera set that long on a short trigger delay in November and a, a doe runs by and the camera triggers as she's running by 45 seconds later, that bucks behind her. It happens way more than I ever gave it credit for. So if I'm running standard SD card cameras, most of the time, I'm going to run them on video mode with a good set of lithium batteries and a, a 64 gig S, uh, SD card. If, if the camera is compatible, yep. I'm going to let it run. Now, let me ask you this question to kind of build upon the previous one about like what you're doing now and when are you, you know, you see, you're taking all that Intel of your <laughs> SD cards and knowing when you got to get into your spot from that November 7th to 14th. Now, are you only holding out for those specific dates just because I'm, I think of, Dimitri and I, like, we don't have a ton of opportunities or tons of different spots. I mean, we do, but we don't. Like, we know we have those bread and butter spots. Like, you always hear, like, oh, I don't go in there until X. Are you only going into those certain spots during that specific time? Or, you know, what's what's your game plan regarding that? I try my hardest to. I try. (laughs) I, I try so hard to stay out. But if I'm getting a, a weather front that's like dynamite that, that I know there's going to be activity, I will move into a spot a little early if the weather tells me that I should. But I have a lot of other spots that I'll just go out and learn and mess up and, and try new things on less than prime days. I am really blessed in my position to where I can hunt a lot. I get a lot of time to hunt and I get a lot of time to learn and there's some public down the road here, like 20 minutes down the road, that if the weather's not ideal, I'll go bounce around there and try to learn something or try to find something. But I try my hardest to stay out of my prime spots when I when I know I have to. Well, and I think for guys like us that, that don't have all that time to hunt, that's when it really gets tough not to go into some of those prime spots, especially when... when like you said, limited spots, public ground, how much pressure is it going to get? Um, so you're trying to seal the deal in a limited time. That's when it really gets tough to try to hold out. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's it's all weather-based in that scenario for me. If if the weather tells me I should be in there, then I'm, I'm going to take advantage of that. If the weather's not right and I know that I have a chance of boogering that spot up, like, find a, a spot to go screw up somewhere else if you have that itch to hunt yeah. or just drive around and like look for sign somewhere else or do something to get your mind off of having to be in that tree no doubt now so we're, you're hoping for iowa how many points do you have going into uh this this uh poll so i have two in my hand okay and the unit that i'm applying for there were people that drew 
with two points. Okay. There were people that drew with three. Nobody really applied for it with four and more. So it's not a top destination in Iowa. I'm not going out there to kill 170 inch deer. I just want to go hunt Iowa because that's the Mecca. Yeah. And I, I just want to have that experience and I can't wait six years to do it. So I have two points in my hand. I don't have the best odds to draw, but they're, I don't know what the odds are, but I think I have a decent chance. Is Chad, isn't Chad doing it as well? Yeah, Chad's actually going to the same unit. He okay. has three points. Okay. So he he has one more point than I do. They don't do group apps, do they? They do. Oh, okay. But they, they base it off who has the least amount of points in the group. Okay. That's how most states do it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, Kansas is that way as well. Dude, so what's what's the game plan for Iowa if it happens? Man, um, the, the river bottom and there's like the area that we're – we're focusing on and dude, I, I'm going to be so aggressive out there. I'm going to try, I'm going to try to screw up so bad for like, I have two weeks, so I'm going to be as aggressive as I possibly can. And I'm going to, the, I have a boat that I was going to take with me, but I talked to some locals and he said that the river won't be high enough when I'm out there. So dude, honestly, this might be the dumbest thing ever but I'm going to try it. I'm going to walk a hundred yards down that river bottom, get the wind in my favor, pop up, bang some antlers together and wait 15 minutes. Nothing happens. I'm going to walk another hundred yards and do it again. And I just want to, I want to have that experience. That's, that's the hunt I want to have. If I screw it up, I screw it up. But if I get 12 bucks that run into some antlers and I don't care if they're two year olds, one year olds, and I get them within 20 yards of me. And I have that experience on the ground with, with whitetails everywhere. Like that's what I want to do. If I kill one, I kill one. If I don't, I'm okay with it. I just want to have that aggressive, like, Oh crap. If I don't move this decoy or whatever, I have a a little handheld decoy. If I don't move this decoy, this deer's going to run me over. Like that's what I'm after. Well, the hunting public make it look so easy <laughs> during that time. Dude, honestly, they do. And uh, Whitetail Adrenaline, the same way. Like, if they see a deer, they just, like, sneak up on it and bang some antlers together, and they come running. Yep. So I'm going to try it, and if that doesn't work, then I'll sit in a tree on, in a funnel and, like, let deer do what they're supposed to do and see if I can get lucky that way. But I would – I for i don't know four or five days like i just have to have that aggressive hunt all day uh get close to bedding rattle and see what the heck happens it's going to be fun man i'm I'm just going out there to have fun so what uh other than iowa what other game plan do you have for this upcoming uh season no i'm going back to north dakota okay i'm yep i'm going back uh to that same area that i hunted last year because it's, I mean, why not? Right. So I know Tony Peterson, when we had Tony on a couple of weeks ago, well, that would have been like a month ago or so, you know, we were talking and we brought up uh, about my early season Delaware hunt. And he asked me if we went for the opener. And I said, no, we didn't. And he asked why. And I just said, well, timing and all that type of stuff. It didn't really work out. We just went only like a couple of days after. And he said, go for the opener. Is that the game plan for you again for this year? Because I know, like you said, you're already out there last year when that happened beforehand. Yep, and the the season actually opens two or three days earlier this year. Oh, wow. So it opens on September 2nd, and I believe last year it opened on September 5th. 
So you get an extra three days of deer holding velvet. That's like the plan. But yeah, we talked to Tony on the Exodus podcast and he said if he had to pick one day to kill a five-year-old deer, it'd be opening day in North Dakota. There you go. Mom. Yeah. I just, after hearing more and more about North Dakota, I, we need to go. Well, here's (laughs) the thing. Here's the thing about North Dakota that I didn't even know going out there, but, um, Rife resident rifle tags are a draw if you're not a landowner. So you can only hunt North Dakota as a resident with a rifle every five or six years. Wow. If you don't own the land. So yeah. the a lot of people out there are landowners, but dude, every every place we went, they're like, You wanna do what? You wanna boat hunt? I'm like, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> now is archery over the counter? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead, dummy. Go try with that uh, Indian thing you got in your hand. Honestly, they're like, "You want to do what? Go ahead, have fun." And like, wh- no, we've been hunting. Can't do it. What's the price of that tag? I want to say it was like two seventy. That's not bad. It's not terrible. It's no. like coming from PA to Ohio. Yep. Yeah. Wow. No doubt. What uh? What questions do you have for him for Ohio? You want yes. to wait till after? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I want to <laughs> ask you about a couple uh, places. Yeah, places I've been kind of e scouting, but you know, someone that's coming from PA, which you know is a little bit different territory, that's going to come hunt uh, Ohio pretty much pre rut into the rut early for basically the first week in November. Um, any strategy definitely going to be able to get out probably one day in august to do some some scouting hang some cameras um any suggestions advice for anyone from pa that's kind of has that in mind it's going to depend on what part of the state that you're going to go to so i'm sure that's something we can talk about a little bit off air but um the state of ohio is really diverse And it's really different as you move south. So the further south you go, the more rugged the territory gets. It's at the southern Ohio. It's more rugged than a lot of spots in PA. And it's big woods just like it is out in PA. So a lot of the strategy kind of fits the PA bill. As you move north and you get further into ag country or you get into a little bit of those rolling hills areas and the the terrain kind of moves on you, the trees go away. The, the strategy kind of goes a little bit uh, out the window as far as like big woods. And I, I think that the answer to that would be like, just scout as much as you can. And um, we'll talk after on, <laughs> on where you're going. Heck yeah, man. Well, you're just talking about, you know, you're what you've been doing up until this point, especially kind of like locally and, and going out of state. And you talked about your gear, about fine tuning that, because obviously you don't want to make, uh, any mistakes while you're out there and things that you can control, what are some of the things that you are working on when it's regarding your bow or your your gear and all that type of stuff? What are the the fine things that you're okay, hey, I can't mess this up or you know, or for listeners that are maybe trying to saddle for the first time or I don't know what whatever certain gear filming, what have it, uh, what are some things that people could work on right now just because I know we're always tinkering and adjusting and fine tuning our setups. Sure. Yeah. Right now my focus on is my shot sequence. So uh, I got a new bow this fall or this summer, the spring, 
And I've just been trying to gain my confidence with my bow because if I can't execute a shot, then I probably shouldn't go hunting. Uh, I switched from a wrist release to a thumb release this year. So that's a whole new experience for me. So my main focus right now is shooting my bow. And other than that, I am silencing equipment. I am making sure I have everything in order. Um, every weekend or so I'll grab my sticks and my saddle and I'll climb a tree just to make sure that I can do it. Uh, make sure that I'm efficient with what I'm doing. Make sure I'm not missing anything in my setup. I have my setup pretty dialed in. I'm really happy with what I'm using. I know this summer, like what a time to be a mobile hunter, man. I mean, Mm -hmm. like a saddle hunter, a mobile hunter, whatever you are, like it is a crazy time. There's so many companies coming out with new stuff and I know I'm going to switch everything that I'm using. (laughs) So right, right now what I'm doing is, um, I'm trying not to get too deep into what I'm using because I know I'm going to switch it, but I'm just making sure everything's in working order. I'm making sure everything's silenced. I'm making sure one thing that I have learned with traveling and hunting is you need a backup for almost everything that you have. So I'm making sure I have two of everything that I think I would need to hunt. If it's not a necessity, I'm not obviously going to buy two of everything, but I'm going to have two pairs of boots I have uh, my main bow. I do have a backup bow if anything were to go haywire. Um, I have uh, a backup saddle if anything were to happen. I don't have backup sticks because if I, if my sticks, something happens, I'll just hunt on the ground. Um, but I have a backup release. I'm, I'm making sure I have all of that stuff in order, getting all my clothing in one place because I know as soon as August come, July and August comes around, we get so busy here at Exodus and traveling for whitetail cribs and doing all the content stuff that I'm not going to have time to do all that stuff. So while we're slow in this transition from Turkey season into deer season, I'll do all that stuff. Now you can never be too prepared, I would say, no doubt. but the main thing for me, man, is like right now, every day I'm shooting my bow. I got to be able to execute a shot and I'm, I'm, man, I'm, I'm in my head with it too. Cause I'm like, you're going to Iowa this year. This is the coveted tag. Like you better be able to shoot that bow. And I honestly have had a, a pretty bad experience um, because I'm so worked up about that. That this spring and summer, I'm, I'm in my head, man. I'm, I'm not. I'm not shooting well. Um, I'll even. I'll say this on air for everyone to listen to. I have dry fired my bow three times in a month. Wow three times in a month because I am so focused on, I switched that release and I am so focused on executing the shot with my, I I don't even put an arrow on. I don't knock an arrow. I've done it three times in like a month and it's, it's embarrassing to say, but these are, I mean, these things happen and these are things that you have to be able to like overcome. And if I was doing this in August and not doing it now, I probably would cancel the hunt because mm-hmm. I'd be so worked up. Dude, I uh, you bring up so many good points. And the first one I want to touch upon, though, is uh, is the boot thing. I know it's, you know, I've all, you know, you're blowing your bow up three times and I want to go back to the boots. <laughs> <laughs> but like, so for instance, man, you, if you are going out of state and you, you want to have two of everything and like the necessity things, I am so glad I brought two boots with me to Delaware because the one day it just downpoured. We were walking in through all this stuff. And, uh, 
I mean, it was just soaking, soaking wet. And I was the only one of three uh, that brought two pairs of boots. And, you know, even if it's just a cheap pair, it doesn't need to be another pair of Krispies or underwear. It doesn't matter. Just as long as you have something else to maybe get out later in the evening uh, so that your feet aren't completely soaked and uncomfortable. And it's just, it, you know, you, we, we spend all this money on this gear to keep us out there longer and all that type of stuff. You know, even if it's just a dry pair of boots, hell, Crocs, it doesn't matter. Just get to have some other type of footwear to have. Just because, like I said, I know when we got back, I let the other guys use like the boot dryer just because I was like, hey, I'm, I'm, I got my other pair. I'll be good. I'll, when you guys, before we leave, I'll throw those on the dryer, basically, type of ordeal. So I was able to rotate my boots. Uh, and I just found that really helpful. So that's, that's a really good tip for sure with the boots. Yeah, I'll never go on any hunting trip, whether I'm local or I am traveling. I always have an extra pair of boots in my truck, in the bed of my truck, because I've been in so many scenarios where I, I was on a, a, a hunt last year in Wisconsin, and my shoelaces broke. And I was like, well, what the heck do I do? Like, if I, had, if I didn't have another pair of boots, I was going to have to do some crazy stuff with paracord or something to get shoelaces. Yeah. Like, I would have been without boots. I didn't wear the other pair of boots. I just took the shoelaces off them and put them on my uh, crispies. But that backup set is going to save you nine times out of 10 if you get in a sticky situation. And I won't wear rubber boots. So boots getting wet, like that happens a lot. So yeah, I'm always rotate, rotating boots. So what are, so what are, uh, what's your game plan moving forward? Like kind of just a little bit about the shot process, just because man, I've been there and I've, I've done that as well. And Dimitri, I think we've all done that. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've, we've all been there. And, you know, just speaking of experience for myself, I've just tried to do the kiss method method and keep it simple. I mean, like for me, like I went from shooting a Scott echo release really well a few years ago, like with my Hoyt pro Defiant, I love that release. And it was kind of like, Oh, like, Oh, you're not cool. Unless you're shooting the knock to it type of ordeal. And I shot the knock to it and I shot that the best I've ever shot it. And then all of a sudden, like we went to a 3d course and I bent at the waist. And as I was bending at the waist, my thumb sent it. And then in my mind just totally went, bonkers and I was never the same again and it just it just immediately as soon as I would bring the bow back and my thumb would come over it was firing like you talk about like people I've heard Joel Turner and other people say oh your thumb's the dumb finger I have more control actually I think with my index than I do with my thumb <laughs> I'm like I'm like, I'm like reverse so I kind of went back to the index and now I'm shooting the back strap and although like I didn't lose a ton of arrows at total archery challenge. And I also didn't shoot a shit ton of twelves or tens, but I I was around the vicinity of, of a ton of kill shots and it's still a learning progress for me, but I feel confident. I feel okay. And I was even just shooting the other, the other night, like last night. And I was like, man, just from shooting around my buddies and shooting those longer distance and shooting this past weekend, I feel even more comfortable with my process than I even did going into the weekend. So man, I, like I just try to keep it as simple as possible. I know that's easier said than done, but cause it's taken me, cause it's taken me a long time. I mean, I remember the first time you and I ever shot, it was me, you and your dad and I Robin hood, like I, I ripped fletchings off. I mean, there, I was stacking. I was, I, I broke like three arrows and I don't, I don't think we, I've ever shot that good again in front of you. 
Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It was just because of me. Ch- like it was all started because I changed shit and I dove into this rabbit hole of like, oh, you should do this. And it's like, man, I, I like I regret going down that rabbit hole. I wish I just would have done. And I shot almost every day. So it wasn't like a thing where I just picked up my bow before hunting season or whatever. I still shot every day. I just wasn't in my head. I wasn't thinking about it. Like, I don't know, man. I, I would just try as much as possible. I mean, I, I did a lot of blank bailing, quote unquote, and I did a lot of like just close shot from me to three feet away, even with the, even with the not blank bailing. So keeping the side on everything and just walking through the, the process and literally Basically, we had indoor 3D end in like February. So up until, right? Was that about right? February? So from like March up into this point, March, April, May, I maybe got outside past 20 yards three times. I know you did more just because it's in your backyard. You have that. But like I didn't much. So like going to tack this past weekend, it was a lot of, all right, this is 80 yards. Well, this is about the third time I shot 80 yards with my bow. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it's so it was also like a learning curve. But again, I gained confidence coming out of TAC because it was like I only butchered, boogered maybe three shots. And you know what I mean? I Like to me, uh, that's a success. Instead of me dwelling on those three, I was like, hey, but I came back with ma- more than majority of my arrows. So I was I was thrilled, man. So that's, that's my kind of two cents. Um, do you have anything to add to that? My biggest thing is, you know, I, I always struggled with same thing, kind of just rushing the shop process. And, and now you're and, slow as shit and yeah, got so it down. Yeah, so I would, you know, I missed a lot of deer shooting over top of their backs. And, you know, I was just kind of rushing and going, not really having a shop process, just kind of drawing back and anchoring. And then probably in the last three or four years, I've just tried to really slow it down. That's a, as simple as it is what I made it out to be is, is just going through that process. And, you know, I, I can't, it's funny. I always talk to my wife about it cause she's a school teacher and I always say I've kind of undiagnosed ADHD. Cause like, I can't focus <laughs> on one thing for very long and I'm all over the place and that's makes archery really hard. Right. You know? Oh, so, yeah. so like, even like for me, like I've, I've listened to a lot of podcasts where, they they've kind of a lot of archers broke it down into sequence do this a b c d you know and then we've even heard the one i think it was i think it was kafaru cast where the one guy was saying you know he doesn't shoot until he says like a key phrase or a word to kind of pull him into that moment but like that's just too much for me like i can't concentrate that much in that long uh, but I do still go through all my steps, but the biggest thing was what I'm doing is just slowing down. We, I think when we're out there hunting, we don't think we have as much time to shoot as we actually do. And just kind of just pulling yourself into that shot process, going through each step and then just kind of, you know, not punching that trigger, slowing down, and then just making sure everything's right before you let it fly. Because it's the one opportunity that you may have, and you got to make the best of it. Yeah, I know. Jim, Jim, kind of. I know our buddy Jim. He kind of says the same sequence, and I do too. And he's you sing the uh, Wu Tang Cream cash rules everything around me. Cream get the money, and usually by the second time I say money, that thing's going. And it's just because that's about as much as my sequence. It's not that I'm trying to time it on that one because sometimes it'll break earlier. Sometimes it's breaking longer. 
uh, that's kind of been my, like, I'll, I'll, I, I go on, I'll, I'll say like anchor bubble aim, and then I'll say my cash rules, everything around me, cream, get the, and then like, usually by that point in time, it's, it's usually gone. I, uh, I, I, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's been, dude, it's just been such a frustrating, frustrating process. And, um, because of the product category that we're moving into, mm-hmm. it's it's been even more frustrating because I'm like, I need to be shooting well. I need to be, I'm, I'm putting content out about X. I need to be shooting well. And uh, last year we were doing, or actually just earlier this year, we were doing some content and, um, I was breaking down my bow setup for a, a YouTube video. Yep. And then there's a lot of video, uh, there's a lot of footage of me shooting, right? And a ton of people started getting on the YouTube and like keyboard warriors, you know, and everyone's like, your draw length's at least an inch too long. Your draw length's at least an inch too long. Your draw length's at least an inch too long. And I was like, oh my God, maybe my draw length's an inch too long. So when I got this new bow, I took it to the bow shop and I was like, I got to change my draw length. Listen, when I I had the, the Matthews Triax for the last four years, that bow was an extension of me. I could shoot it with my eyes closed. I, my target acquisition was so good, and like when I was solid, I was solid. I could I had no issues. I was so confident. And then I get this new bow. Everyone's telling me my draw length's too long. I take it to the shop. I'm like, okay, my draw length's too long. I'm like, okay, well now I need to switch my draw length. So I switched that up, and I'm like, okay, well. Now that people mention it, I feel like my draw length's too long. Well, I feel like my wrist release is too long because I, I have a I have trouble reaching the trigger. Mm-hmm. So now I bought a youth wrist release with a youth strap and a youth thing, and I'm like, okay, it's still too long. Now I need a thumb release because I can't re- I can't reach the thing. So I go to a thumb release, and that's where I'm at with it now. So it's it's a uh, people got in my head, and now I'm in my own head. And it's uh, it's been a frustrating deal, but I'm I shot the last two days really well. Heck yeah. I'm I'm coming over, I'm breaking out of the curve, and I did a lot of blank bailing, uh, just closing my eyes, and I don't know if I'm squeezing the trigger, if I'm pulling, or if I'm punching the trigger. I don't know, and right now I don't care. Yeah, no, because- and, and that was going to be my next thing to you is no matter what you're doing, as long as you, if you could gain confidence in that, do it. Do you know what I mean? Because then you're going to have the confidence to uh, like to execute a shot when a deer happens or something along those lines, because that's the game. Like in every sport and every activity that you, you ever played, though, everybody will say it's, well, it's 95% mental. You know what I mean? No matter what it is, you're, I mean, maybe football. You just got to know where you're going and go in there and hit somebody. It's a little bit more yeah. physical there, but but you know what I'm saying. Like it's it, a lot of it's a lot of mental, and uh, I I feel really good in the progress that I've made, no doubt about it. And I just you know I don't kind of dwell on it as much anymore either. I'm just kind of like even when you and I shot up at your yard the other day, I was I mean I thought I shot okay, and I wasn't a basket case, and you know there's times where. You know, I'm again. It's a learning in progress, but man, it's it. I I I totally. I've been there and, and done that for sure. I I think uh, I was talking to Chad about it, and, and the the words that he said to me made the most sense. And he said that um, 
you ever play like pickup basketball with someone or you, you were watching a basketball game and this particular guy has the ugliest shot in the world, but it goes in. Yeah. No one really cares about what it looks like as long as it goes where you want it to go. So all those people telling me I was slapping the trigger and my draw length was too long. I'm sorry that you feel that way and you feel the need to tell me, but I haven't had an issue hitting a target. So I'm okay. Exactly, man. Well, and I think too, I mean, look at how many great shooters there are out there. But if you would actually dive into their form, look, look, Cameron Haynes, right? He shoots different than <laughs> Levi Morgan, right? Yeah. I mean, they're great shooters. I mean, they're very different and they do different things. And, you know, one's mainly a hunter and the other one's a hunter and mostly, you know, target archery or 3D. But they're they're successful in what they do. I mean, not everyone has to fit one mold. And if you're good at what you do, uh, then go with it, right? Yeah. You know, there's not a set way you have to do it to be a good archer. And everyone's body type's a little bit different too. I mean, so, you know, one thing that this person does may not fit you because your posture is a little bit different or he's a little bit taller than you uh, or he must have wider shoulders than you. So everyone's a little bit different. So you got to kind of kind of neglect that you know those outer views of people's opinions that don't really matter uh and do what's you know better for you and make gonna make you successful yep i couldn't agree more and i think what i what uh ended up happening was i with my wrist release i anchored a lot further back than maybe a lot of people did and it made my draw length look longer because the string was coming further across my face because my anchor point was further back. It wasn't up here. It was back here. So that's why it looked long, but it fit me well. And now I'm all jacked up because of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I want to, before we get off and do things, I want to do kind of like a little mini rapid fire to the gear guy here. So you could you could say like, the piece of equipment, you could do it two ways. You could do it like maybe what you have and what you're using or your favorite of, of that category. So if I say like bow, obviously you said the triax was like an extension to your arm. So obviously I would probably go down and down and say that, that is your favorite bow. Uh, yeah, I would say the triax I'm shooting the V three X right now. Okay. And I like the features of it with the, uh, sight going through the yeah. riser and the, the low profile quiver. I like that, but I shot the triax a lot better. I felt smoother. And with the triax, I had the, the ability to put that fat wood grip on it. And that felt so good to me. And the, switching to like the slimmer grip has been a, a, a little bit different for me. So yeah, I would say the triax is, has been my, my favorite bow. Have you tried the ultra view grip by chance? I haven't. You try it. I'll, I, I don't, I don't have a, an extra one, but man, I'm telling you, you got a, that like between that and a Hoyt between both bows, adding a, an ultra view grip, even now, like with our PSEs, I have the, the Dudley one. And although it's, it, ha, it gives it about an 85% feel to me that it feels like the, the Matthews grip and the Hoyt, like just the way it feels. I would highly suggest trying the the ultra view grip. I'm up for anything. I'll yeah, try it. I, I think you, I, I think it's worth a shot. All right. Uh, piece of clothing, your favorite piece of clothing, whether it be pants or top base layer, whatever the Sitka apex pants. Okay. 
are by far my favorite hunting pant that I've ever worn in my life. Okay. They're so comfortable, built-in knee pads. Uh, definitely my favorite, my favorite pant. Boots. Uh, right now, I'm wearing the crispy guides. Okay. But I am I am ordering the crispy Laponia twos. <laughs> Good luck trying to find them. I yeah, I'm just, I've been wait I've been waiting for them to hit the website. Yeah, so. I actually uh, talked to two vendors at TAC. They didn't have them. They weren't. To both vendors even uh, said they weren't going to carry them in their store. Uh, I actually talked to Crispy uh, through Instagram and saying like, "Hey, I'm trying to find these boots. I can't find them anywhere. I wear 13, which is probably a little harder to get in general too." But they they were even kind of on whoever I was talking to was struggling to kind of uh, figure out where I could a- access these boots too. So I think they're just having a tr- tough time of getting them in when they're coming overseas. So, well, maybe I won't be then. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Pack. Sitka tool belt. Okay. Running the, just the tool belt. I like that. Interesting. Um, all right, and then out of even something that maybe we didn't talk about as far as gear goes, what is like your favorite piece of gear? Like what's something that if if you could tell me and Dimitri or and Ricky and Bobby and everybody else like man, you you got to have this at least in in your in your uh I don't know, repertoire, what what would it be? Man, I really feel strongly about that sick to tool belt. Yeah. I think it's just, it might not be for everyone. But I try to be as minimal as possible and try to take the least amount of things with me as possible. And that pack allows me to take what I need, not take what I don't need. And it allows me to pack my sticks underneath the pack. I have that closed hamper or the the hamper system for the shoulder straps. I'll uh, strap my platform to the back of that. And I have a sling on my bow. And I'm I'm walking through the woods hands-free lightweight and if i want to hunt on the ground i can hunt on the ground if i want to hang in a tree i can hang in a tree and i don't have a bunch of crap with me so i haven't found another pack that allows me to do what that one does because if it's bigger i end up taking stuff that i don't need and if it's smaller i can't pack my sticks the way i want to pack my sticks so that that's like a tool belt until someone makes something similar that has a little bit better features that's that's my that is my favorite piece of gear. I take it with me on every hunt. Hell yeah. What about, oh, go ahead. How about the big debate, fixed versus mechanical broadheads? Which ones are you using? And then why do you prefer that one? A fixed head, uh, 10 days out of 10 and twice on Sunday. I think that's what they say. <laughs> uh, not, not in Pennsylvania though. Cause you can't hunt on Sunday, but um, I will say fixed blade, Fixed blade broadheads will not fail if you put them where they need to go. So I have not had an issue with a fixed blade broadhead not opening or a fixed blade broadhead opening upon flight. And in my experience, if your bow is tuned properly, you can shoot any fixed blade on the market and there's no issues with it. They penetrate better. They're tougher. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fixed blade all, all the way. I don't. I don't see... I really don't see any benefits to the mechanical because if you're, like I said, if your bow is tuned properly, you can shoot any fixed blade just like a mechanical. What about your favorite place to hunt? 
right now North Dakota. <laughs> I think if you talk to me next year, it's going to be Iowa. What are uh, you know what's to come, man? Like I know, like I know, like I said, this will air around the fifteenth. I think that's Wednesday. I know there's probably some things you could say or maybe not say, but what's what's on the horizon for Exodus? Man, if if anyone's been paying attention to the Exodus content, you've kind of seen the rebranding, so to speak. So Exodus is no longer Exodus trail cameras. It's Exodus outdoor gear or just Exodus. And you're not going to see us refer to anything as Exodus trail cameras from here on out. Uh, We are not a trail camera company. We are an outdoor gear company. So that's about all I can say as far as as, uh, product releases coming up. We do have some new cameras in the works as well, too. So uh, the cameras aren't going away. We're not going to stop innovating in the camera market. Um, But we're just learning a lot. And we have a product that we think is going to fill fill some voids. And we think a lot of people are going to be happy with it. We're happy with it so far. And yeah, man, we're just going to keep, keep crushing the content side of things. The whitetail cribs, man, this year is going to be the biggest season of whitetail cribs ever. We took a little bit of a hiatus for, uh, the summer. We did 120 episodes straight the last two years, not missing a week. Um, traveling all, all across the country, going to all these trophy rooms. We took a little bit of a break from January until September. We're going to start airing those again, and we're going to have Bill Winky, Don Higgins, uh, Joe Miles from Osseo Gear, Chansey Walters from Whitetail Adrenaline. There are some big, big episodes coming, so the content side of things is going to keep going. X is going to keep growing, and hopefully we're going to have another – uh, another great year of killing some deer. Go ahead, because I know you're going to say it, so say it. Yeah, if you ever need someone to show you the best 60 to 100-inch deer <laughs> you've ever seen, you can always come to our place. Hell yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> no, I'm just Ant- teasing Antler you. up. Antler yeah. up, baby. Exactly, man. No, that's that's awesome. Well, uh, I'm excited for that because those are always they, – they fill the void definitely right before hunting season, and I just can't wait. I always love – seeing what other guys are going. And I just like the premises that you guys, the the way you do it, it's awesome. But all right, Cam, well, you got the deer gear podcast uh, before we wrap things up. So people make sure you tune into that. How often do you uh, drop episodes and all that cam on that on there? Uh, I'm uploading six episodes a month. So every Friday and every other Wednesday. So every other Wednesday is archery specific with George from fire knock. He's kind of, helping me host that. Uh, lately, it's been more archery-specific stuff um, because, it's, like I said, I'm struggling with archery, so I wanted to talk to George uh, to try to work through the equipment that I'm using. But every Friday and every other Wednesday throughout the summer, throughout the fall, uh, I think there's going to be some antler-up guests here in the future. So I'm looking forward to those conversations. And, if yeah, every Friday at 6 a.m. or every Wednesday at 6 a.m., you can learn about some gear. Sounds good, man. Well, everybody, make sure you go check out Cam. What's your uh, Instagram handle for your personal stuff? Uh, Cam the cameraman underscore. Man, we didn't even dive into that, so we're definitely gonna what like this summer. Let's reconvene and see where you're at with some of the uh, 
whole uh, Iowa draw and all that type of stuff. And let's dive into a little bit of the editing type of stuff, the camera gear. And man, this was a fun one. So let's definitely reconvene here this summer. No doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, Cam. Well, everybody, thank you again for tuning in for this week. Check out Cam and everybody over at Exodus Outdoor Gear. It's it's gonna be a, there. You go. That's gonna be a that's gonna be a tongue twister for some people. I like it, but hey, check them out. Awesome guys. Uh, so see you next week. Antler up. That's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. Again, thank you everybody for tuning in. Check us out over at antlerupoutdoors.com. Check out our Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and our Go Wild pages. Thank you again, everybody, for all the continued support. See you next week. Antler Up.